Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning, Father Fred. Good morning. How are you doing this morning, George? I'm doing great. I understand we have some special guests with us today. Yes, this is the first time my grandson Noah Engel is going to be here with us today, and our good friend Roman, he's going to be here. So we've got a little bit of company today. Yeah, it's really cool to be here. How are you doing, Roman? Good. How are you, Father Fred? Well, it's always good to be here with our family and making a new podcast, number 10 this week. Can you believe we're at number 10 already? Time passes. When you get to be 89, time passes faster. Okay, so what are we studying today, Father Fred? Today we're going to start with chapters 18 and 19, and we've got to remember this. And each time we, we come to something, a point on this, I'm going to explain to you, these two chapters are both about hospitality. So we're going to keep that in mind, and we're going to bring that home because that's what they're about. But before we start, if you're just starting to listen to these podcasts, I would suggest that you go to the very first one because they build one on the other. So if you're looking for the podcast, just look inside and find the one that's listed as 001 or Two Stories of the Flood. That's the first one we've done and the first one that is makes sense for you to read. Now, also, have your Bible ready. I want you to, to be sure and find in your Bible what we're saying because we're not saying something not in the Bible. We are presenting this to you right from scriptures, right from the Bible. And also have a pen and paper so you can you can write down any that you hear about any scripture. You can look those up and see where, right where we are. And we're making this podcast not to make somebody think that the Bible is not true. Nobody is trying to disprove the Bible. We're trying to prove it. Now, one problem comes when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and it says, All scripture is inspired by God. And we believe that. The key word is inspired. Some people believe that being inspired by God means that these words come right off the lips of God. And that makes it difficult because when we read in the story of the flood, we find two animals versus 14. And it can't be both of them. So it's not coming right off God's lips. In the two stories of creation, the first one says the earth is covered with water. The second one says there is no water anywhere. Now, if you try to read that literally, you're going to wonder, is God tricking us or is God, uh, what's he trying to do? But it's not coming off God's lips. It's coming off the pen of the writer. And there's more than one writer. So when you have one writer writing one thing and another writer writing another thing, you come out with what looks like contradictions. But they're really not contradictions unless you try to read both of them as if they're written by God. George, did you add anything to that? Well, I have a question. Okay. If the Bible is inspired by God, but he didn't say these words, how is it inspired? For me, it's kind of like uh, you hear two speakers. One of them is speaking about how Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and the people say, oh, that was so inspiring. Then you hear another man. He preaches the same thing. He preaches that the resurrection of Jesus, that's for our salvation. And he preaches the same thing, and you hear people say, oh, that man is inspired by God. But they're not telling exactly the same stories. They're not using the same words, but the teaching is Jesus rose from the dead. So the teaching is inspired, not necessarily every word is inspired. Exactly. Just like on this podcast, I think that we are inspired here today as we are telling about what we read from the scriptures to 
to help us grow closer to God. But if you're going to read the Bible, for me anyway, I have to ask myself four questions. First of all, who is doing the writing? Was the writer living in the desert in that second story? Or was he living in the north where there's a lot of water, as we read in the second chapter of Genesis? It depends on where the person is. So I ask myself four questions. I ask myself, who is doing the writing? Number one. Number two is, who is he writing to? And number three, what's going on while he's doing the writing? And number four, probably the most important of all, is how does this touch me with my God? So we've got those four questions to ask. And if we don't ask them, if we just sit down and read it like it's coming off God's lips, we're going to be going in circles. So is this correct to say, if we're reading a book of the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, who's doing the writing? What is the historical context of the writing? Who's the audience they're writing to? And how do I apply this to myself? Exactly. And if you don't add that fourth one, you don't get a spiritual connection. If you don't add the first three, you're going to have a confused spiritual idea. So we were kind of talking about this at breakfast. It'd be kind of like if I said, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. And somebody wrote that down. And a thousand years from now, people would be debating, well, did he really want to eat a horse? Did he like horse meat? Was horse meat common to eat back then? And it's really more of an idiom. But unless you knew it was an idiom, then you would think, well, maybe he really wanted to eat a horse. Yes, and probably you'd have everybody hiding their horses because you, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want to lose your horse. Something else that we were talking about in the restaurant this morning before we came here for this podcast, and this is for Ken because he wants his grandsons to think that he's cool. He asked them if they think he's cool, and they said, yeah, maybe so. But he said... They would be, think I was cool if I was on a podcast. So, Ken, this is for you and for your grandchildren that uh, they'll think that you're cool now because we have mentioned you here on this podcast. And I'd like to add, Ken is one of the most amazing guys I've ever met. He is a spiritual giant, even though he doesn't think so. And I gain a lot of wisdom from Ken, and I appreciate it. And even though he's not directly on this podcast yet, a lot of the ideas and things he says make it onto this podcast. And we appreciate you, Ken. He's not just a spiritual giant. He's, a, he's also a physical giant. You grandkids, you remember now, your grandpa is cool. We'll just go on to chapter 18. And remember, now this is what I told you, and each time I'm going to make a point of it. This chapters 18 and 19, they were about hospitality. Open your Bible to chapter 18 in Genesis. Get it open and get your pencil and paper because I'm going to have some to write for you to write down that you can look at later, but it's going to have a direct influence on what we're studying here and preparing for this uh, for this podcast. First of all, in chapter 18, verse 1, says, The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, that tells you right off the bat that this is from the south. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oak of Mamre. The most common thing that you hear about in the Bible, the most popular is God. The second most popular thing mentioned are the people. And the third most popular thing is the tree. And the tree has to be so popular in the south because the south is in the Negev Desert. And the trees are the only places that they're going to get shade. So they're going to be crowded around that. Again, that says, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oak of Mamre as he sat in the entrance. Now, the reason he's at the entrance is in those tents, it gets intensely hot. So he's going to be at the entrance where he will get some sort of a, a breeze, hopefully. And it says he's at the entrance of his tent while the day was growing hot. That is not the time of the day to be walking in a desert. 
when the day is growing hot. But this is the Lord, I guess, heat's not going to bother him. Verse 2 is something that really changes it up. Looking up, he saw three men standing near him. Now, where did they come from? The Lord is talking to him, or the Lord is, is there appearing to him. But when he looks up, he sees three people. And when he saw them, here's what he did. He ran from the entrance of the tent to greet them. Now, why did he run from the entrance of the tent? In the Bedouin community, in the desert, there is a hospitality that we don't even realize, that we cannot, we do not practice here. But he ran to meet them, just to tell them hello. Doesn't know who they are, hasn't seen them before, but he runs to greet them. Doesn't just walk, he runs. Then what does he do next? Bowing to the ground. He's bowing down to the ground to somebody that he doesn't even know. I think this is about the writer that we were talking about a while ago. Why would the writer have him bow to the ground? I think the writer is telling us that this is somebody divine, somebody special. He doesn't just walk up and talk to him. He doesn't even just sit in his tent. He runs to him. Now, first of all, it says the Lord appeared. That's verse one. Number two says there are three men. That's number two. Number three, he says, sir, he's talking to one guy again. And you have to wonder what's going on. Is he talking to one guy or three guys? What are the other two doing while he's, while he's talking to the one? He said, if it please you, do not go past your servant. He considers himself a servant. Doing this, this is the hospitality that is shared by the people that live in the Negev Desert in southern Israel. Verse 4, very interesting. Let some water be brought that you may bathe your feet. Isn't that something that's so polite? Now, if you've been walking in the desert and you've got on sandals, your feet are going to be dirty. They're going to be stinky. They're going to be itchy. This is just common for them. Let some water be brought that you may bathe your feet. He wants to make them comfortable. This is hospitality. And then he says, tell to them, after you bathe your feet, then rest. Where do they rest? Under the tree. They're going under that tree to rest. They're going to have some shade. He's concerned about them. Verse 5 says, now that you've come to your servant, let me bring you a little food. Now, how many times in the United States, if we're sitting down in front of our house and we see somebody passing, are we going to get up and run to them, give them water to bathe their feet, and now bring out some food to them, and you don't even know them? This is a different hospitality that we cannot even imagine over 2,000 years ago, and also in a, a country that the customs are so different even today. Number five again. Now that you've come to your servant, let me bring you a little food that you may refresh yourselves. Now he's back to the plural again. Verse 1 was the Lord, singular. Verse 2 was three men. Verse 3 is back to sir. Verse 5 is back to yourselves. He's talking to all three of them again. That you may refresh yourselves and afterward you may go on your way. He's not going to know them. He's not going to even get acquainted with them. He's just going to do all of these things for them and then send them on their way. They will never be able to repay him. His repayment is going to be that he was kind and hospitable to somebody else. Very well, they replied, do as you have said. Now look at number six, verse six. Abraham hurried. He doesn't want them to get away. He doesn't want them to have to wait. I went to a barbecue place in McKinney two weeks ago, and the wait was going to be one hour. This man does not want them to wait any time. Abraham hurries into the tent to Sarah. Now Sarah's his wife. Here's the way she's supposed to do it. 
Quick, do this quickly because we've got to t attend to these people. Quick, three measures of bran flour. That's enough for 40 people. Knead it and make bread. Knead, K-N-E-A-D. Knead it and make some bread. Quick, the last thing we want to do is have to wait like we were at that barbecue place. Hey, Father Fred. Yes. My version says cups. What does your version say? It says three measures. And you said three measures was enough for It was 40. enough for a lot of people. Cups, you make it cups. That's enough for four people, I guess. Yeah. And each version of the Bible changes a little bit. That's why it's called a version. It's a different way of reading it. And each version has maybe three or four different editions. Edition means edit. Each time there's a new edition, they're changing it. Here's what he does in verse 7. He ran to the herd. He's not just walking out there. He's not sending somebody. He's not just strolling along. He wants these people to be fed because this is his hospitality. He ran to the herd and he picked out a tender choice calf. He's going to kill one of his calves for somebody that he doesn't even know. He gave it to the servant who quickly prepared it. So they've already got all of this prepared for these people. And all of their doing is passing by some, some strangers. Verse 8 says, Then he got some curds and milk, as well as the calf that had been prepared. You were telling about curds this morning, George. You remember what that was? Yes. I was wondering if that was like cottage cheese. Be something like that, wouldn't it? And he's got milk for them, so now he's got meat. Uh, he's got water for them. They've washed their feet, and he's doing it as quick as he can. He's killed the calf. That is hospitality. Back to 8. Then he got some curds and milk, as well as the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them, back to them again. We're going him and them, back and forth. And we'll find out a little bit about maybe why this going from three to, to one. Waiting on them, and where are they? Under the tree while they ate. They don't want to sit in the sun. That's the best place out there. Trees are something almost divine for them. They have to have trees in that desert. Father Fred, mm -hmm. I'm reminded of the story of Jonah when he was told to go to Nineveh. We know the story of Jonah, and they tossed Jonah overboard because he was trying to run away from God, and God had caused a storm. And he makes it over to Nineveh, and God causes a big plant to show up and give Jonah some shade. So that kind of just shows that shade was very important. It could keep you alive. They'll certainly keep you comfortable. For some reason, that story came to mind. Trees are so important in a desert. Can you imagine? If you're not under a tree, you're directly under the sun, hitting right on top of you. And if you go in the tent, it's probably worse because the, the heat just intensifies in a tent. Okay, let's look at verse 9 now. They asked him, where is your wife Sarah? And he says, they're in the tent. The women could not eat with the men. It reminds me of times I've been in Mexico. Sometimes we'd be in a house, there'd be five men and five women. The men would stand around and talk while the women prepared the food. And then when the food was prepared, the women would serve it and the men would eat and the women would stand back until all of the men had eaten. Then they would sit down and eat. It's a pretty sure sign that my wife was not Mexican. She was not going to sit there and watch me eat and then come and eat later herself. In verse 10, interesting again, one of them, now this one again, he's talking about they, and now it's back to one. One of them said, this is going to be shocking, shocking. I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent just behind them. Now, why is she at the entrance? Well, maybe she can hear better, but also there's a breeze, a little bit of a breeze there at the entrance. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, this is verse 11, and advanced in years, 
and Sarah had stopped having her menstrual period. This chapter right here is telling us in 18 that she is old. The NIV, it says she is withered. But in chapter 20, Abimelech is a guy that's going to show up, a king, and he is going to listen as Abraham tells Sarah, tell him that you're my sister because she was so beautiful that everybody wanted her, but she's already withered and already done in. So the writer is getting different stories from different places also. And one story might not come out just right with the other because where he happens to put it. Could it be that he's using withered in a different sense, meaning she's withered past the age of childbearing, but not withered physically, like no wrinkles and stuff like that, but she's just past childbearing age? There's something about her that's withered. She is not Bridget Bardot in her prime. Number 12 says, so Sarah left. Now, this is an important word, left. You're going to hear it over, and you're going to find out why. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, Now that I am worn out, and in the NIV it's withered, Now that I am worn out and my husband is old, am I still to have sexual pleasure? But in chapter 20, she's hip again. She's like Ken would say she's cool. But the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really bear a child as old as I am? Verse 14 is, Is anything too marvelous for the Lord to do? At the appointed time, about this time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. And then Sarah finally shows herself. She lied. She's evidently come out of the tent, and she's there with the rest of them now under the tree. She lied and said, I did not laugh. She said that because she was afraid. But he, this is back to one again. It just goes back from one to three to one to three. Sarah lied saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid. I wonder why she was afraid. These are people just passing by and they say something that she seems silly and now she's afraid. I'm wondering what that fear is. And this person said, yes, you did. Now, right in the middle of this chapter, we're going to change subject. Abraham here is still with the Lord. And verse 16 says, Abraham is walking with them to see them on their way. And the men set out from there and looked down towards Sodom. Sodom is going to be a very important place that we're going to be discussing now. And Abraham's walking with them to see them on their way. And the men set out from there and looked down towards Sodom. Not all of the men went. Verse 17 says, The Lord considered. This is in the south. This is, is just so much like a human. The Lord considered. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Why would he hide anything from Abraham? Well, we'll find out what's going to happen. Maybe this is what he's not going to let Abraham know about. This is verse 18, still in chapter 18. Now that he is to become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations on earth are going to find a blessing on him. All the nations. Now that sounds like everybody, doesn't it? Well, it's not so. Sodom is not going to find a blessing. Sodom is going to find just the opposite of a blessing. This writer, he's writing quicker than he's thinking. Indeed, I have singled him out that he may direct his children and his household in the future to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord may put into effect for Abraham the promises he made about them. You remember what the two promises were that he made to Abraham? One of them was he's going to have a lot of children, and the second one was he's going to spread them out and they're going to have a lot of land. Two promises that he's made to them. And so that the Lord may put into effect for Abraham the promises he made. 
right now he just has Ishmael through the handmaiden Hagar, correct? Yeah, he should anyway. So the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grave. Now, what is their sin? This is one of the, the biggest misconceptions, I think, of what sin is. The sin that they're talking about is not taking care of other people that come to their tent. It's not being hospitable. These two chapters are about hospitality. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grave that I must go down and see. Now, this is, this is the South. This is where God is so close to people. I've got to go down and see whether or not their actions are as bad as the cry against them. That's strange. He's supposed to already be down here. He's the Lord that's already here. But now it says, I'm going to go down and see what's going on to find out. You'd think God would know everything. I must go down and see whether or not their actions are as bad as the cry against them and comes to me. I mean to find out. He should know. God's supposed to know everything. As the men turned and walked towards Sodom, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So the men that left, there two. There were three to start with. So two of them are gone and one is still there with Abraham and that's the Lord. And he's close by. He's standing right before him. Verse 23 says, Then Abraham drew near and said, He drew near. He's already near. It says he's standing right there before the Lord. Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And there's been nothing said about sweeping anything away. Now here comes the oriental bargaining at its best. Here comes Abraham. He's going to start trying to haggle. I was a tour guide in Mexico for 15 years and went to a lot of places. And my daughter, Melissa, the high point for her was going to the markets and haggling with people. And both came away happy. She came away happy, and they were happy because they probably charged three prices for what she thought she was getting a, a good bargain. But here is the bargaining in Oriental. Suppose there are 50 righteous people in the city. So the city they're talking about is Sodom. Suppose there are 50 righteous people in the city. Would you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people within it? He's going to start with a big one, and he's going to go on down to try and get to where, where you get God to not destroy it at all. For be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. For be it from you, should not the judge of the whole world do what is just? He's talking about God, the judge of the whole world. And the Lord replied, If I find fifty righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Father Fred, does Abraham know this is God at this point? He should be figuring out if he says you are the judge of the whole world. He has to know it's more than just a normal person anyway. He's got something divine. This writer is trying to show us that God is, is so special that he can present himself in any way. Well, I just thought of this. He said that it was God and then you said it was three people, the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's presenting God in Trinity form. It is, except in chapter 19, it tells who the two people are. It refers to them anyway as angels. Sometimes in the Bible, angels become like God, and God becomes more like angels. So it's not out of the question for it to be the Trinity. First line in chapter 19 says, the two angels went to Sodom. So back to the haggling. Abraham spoke up again. See how I'm pre presuming to speak, my Lord? I'm only dust and ashes. I'm just nothing, but can, would you just listen to me? He's trying to make himself look like nothing so that he's not a threat of any kind. And now he says, what if there are five less than 50? What if there's just 45? And God says, I won't destroy it. The next one, what if there's 40? I won't destroy it. What if there's 30? I won't destroy it. What if there's 20? I won't destroy it. 
What if there are 10? I won't destroy it. Now that is where it ends. We don't ever know if it got down to five, but what the teaching is about is not 15 or 14 or 30. The teaching is about that the Lord is patient when he's just listening and listening and listening, and he's also considerate. I will not destroy it if there are this many. Well, Father Fred, we're technically out of time, so let's wrap this one up and let's continue on in episode 11. Is that all right? That sounds good. All right. Thank you very much, Father Fred. Thank you, and thank you, Noah, for being here. Oh, that reminds me. Noah, do you have anything to add? Well, I just wanted to bring into the topic. It seems like a lot of the Genesis pieces of this podcast, it seems like there's a lot of mixing with of two stories, like Noah and the Ark. There's two of those. There's two stories of creation. There's two stories of this, it seems. One story where there's only one person, another one where there's three. Is there some correlation to that? When you read it, you always start out with not why did God say this? You ask, why did the writer write this? And I think the writer was writing... He just wanted to continue a story. He's liable to put in things that you wonder why they're there. So he might have taken two different stories and combined them. Exactly, or may, maybe more. Remember, these were just oral, and one person saying it orally will be different than somebody else that's saying it. So if he gets some from this person and some from this person, we're going to have things that sometimes they can't be chronological. It just doesn't work out that way. Roman, do you have any thoughts or questions? So there are two things I wanted to mention. The first is when Sarah is laughing and the angel says, you did laugh. It reminds me of Zechariah in the Gospel of Luke, whenever he's doubting that his wife will conceive John the Baptist. And the angel Gabriel, you know, has a mute. But with Sarah, it seems that she got like a far less severe or even no punishment. The other thing I wanted to add was that whenever God is kind of saying his thoughts, It kind of reminds me of modern theater shows where they break the fourth wall. They're thinking out loud to explain the story. And I just thought that that might be what the writer's incorporating, kind of the mind of God and what he's about to do. Thank you. Noah, you're 14, correct? Yes. And Roman, you're 20? They may be young, but they have a lot of wisdom and they're incredibly smart and sharp. And We're lucky to have them on this podcast today. I think our country is in good hands. I think so, too. Well, that's all the time we have today, Father Fred. Thank you very much. Thank you, and God bless. 